read the Beatitudes this morning. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Welcome to Sycamore View. My name is Seth King, and uh, it is a blessing uh, for me to be up here this morning, uh, and not uh, a blessing and an opportunity uh, that I take lightly. Uh, Many of you I know by name. Uh, Many others of you at least recognize your face, but but some of you um, I don't know. Um, So um, I'd like to introduce myself uh, a little bit. Um, As I said, my name's Seth. Uh, my wife, Jenna, is, is in the back. My parents drove down uh, to, to see me this morning, so that'll shake up your nerves, right? Um, I didn't tell my grandparents how to use the Internet, so hopefully they're not watching online. Um, we, uh, we have uh, a one-year-old named Evelyn uh, who is absolutely uh, adorable. Um, we've been members here for about six years. Uh, my wife was uh, one of the youth ministers for, for part of that. Uh, we spend most of our time with the youth group. So um, if I haven't had the opportunity to meet you, uh, it's probably because I spend too much time with teenagers, and hopefully um, my wife and I will get to meet you soon. Um, if you're a guest, um, as you've already heard, uh, you need to know I'm not uh, the normal preacher, so if you hate this sermon, uh, just come back next week. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm not Josh Ross. There are some, some big differences between me and Josh, um, I don't root for disappointing football teams. <laughs> and I don't have an unhealthy obsession with the state of Texas. Um, Josh is out of town, but will be back with, back with us soon, and I'm sure he'll have plenty of thoughts on the uh, Dallas Cowboys. I do have this in common with Josh, though. Um, I am the second best speaker in my family. Um, <laughs> And um, if you've ever had the opportunity to hear uh, Casey or my wife, Jenna, speak, you know how gifted they are. Um, But nonetheless, I am um, grateful to be up here. Um, For the past several weeks, we as a church community um, have been journeying through uh, Matthew 5, verses 1 through 12, or uh, what's frequently called, uh, if you're new to church, the Beatitudes. So if you want to go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 5, that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, If you need a Bible, I notice on the way in, there are several good ones in the lost and found. Um, So you can just grab one on your way out, um, take that home with you. Um, I'm sure that's okay. 
Um, Josh would definitely approve. Also, if you need some new reading glasses or some sets of keys, those are in the Lost and Found as well. So uh, swing by, pick it up. So these Beatitudes, um, these, these statements here, these are the statements that Jesus uses to open um, what's probably his most famous speech, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon is one of the cornerstones of Christian faith. faith. And it's important, uh, important for us uh, from the get-go to acknowledge that God, that Jesus is not giving us a list of commands here. Jesus isn't trying to dump new laws and new restrictions on us in the form of these Beatitudes. If you're new to to Christianity, if you're new to church, if you're visiting with us, you need to hear today that uh, Christianity is not a religion uh, of righteousness that we earn by following the law. Um, It's a religion uh, of righteousness freely given by grace. Um, We're righteous through the grace of God, period. End of story. No qualifiers. And we cannot read this Sermon on the Mount, we can't read these Beatitudes as anything other than grace. Because if we begin to read them as law, um, they, they begin to put too great a burden on us. And so as we talk through this idea of being pure in heart, um, we, we need to establish from the get-go that, that this is not a religious law. Um, rather, it's a graceful invitation into a new life. Um, I kind of wish that it were. I wish that it were a command, because uh, this sermon would be really easy. Um, I could just stand up here and say, blessed are the pure in heart. So you need to have a pure heart. Go home, figure it out. We'll see you next week. Um, but I, I don't think it is a command. Um, I think it's an invitation to, to something deeper. I think it's an invitation to live in a new way um, from a new place with a new community. Um, the sermon and the Beatitudes, as I've studied over the past month, um, I've realized that, that, that what Jesus says cannot be separated from the person that Jesus is. Um, as I said, this is not Jesus giving us a new law. Rather, this is Jesus revealing his heart to us. Um, it's him inviting us deeper into the heart of God. And as we go deeper into the heart of God, what do you think happens to our own heart? We become pure in heart. We never really reach that fulfillment, right? Um, This side of heaven, we're never fully pure in heart. Even the best of us are going to have days that challenge us and things that that pull us away from the heart of God. And so we never fully realize that purity. But Jesus does continue to to deeply refine us. Um, Stanley uh, Hauerwas, we can go to that next slide, um, says this, the sermon therefore is not a list of requirements, but rather a description of the life of a people gathered by and around Jesus. To be saved is to be gathered. And that is why the Beatitudes are the interpretive key to the whole sermon, precisely because they are not recommendations. No one is asked to go out to be poor in spirit or to mourn or to be meek. Rather, Jesus is indicating that given the reality of the kingdom, we should not be surprised to find, uh, to find uh, among those who follow him, those who are poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who, meek, who are meek. 
one of the first things we need to notice about these Beatitudes, um, and, and Josh has said this, is that these Beatitudes are not spoken to an individual, uh, but to a community. They're not meant to be heard or lived individually, but rather through a lens of community. And when we read and hear these statements in community, uh, they begin to take on a new life. I think that's especially true of the beatitude that we're going to talk about um, today. D.A. Carson says this. um, He says that that in Matthew, uh, the word disciple refers not just to the 12 apostles, but to all followers, even those who aren't fully committed. So if, if you're still new to this, if you're just kind of sticking your toes in the water to, to see what Christianity might be about, to see what this Jesus guy um, is about, Jesus offers these beatitudes to you. He offers these beatitudes to all of us, not just to Peter and James and John. Uh, gives a, Jesus gives us these beatitudes, and he says we're blessed when we live from this place. When we're, we are blessed when we live from the kingdom. Uh, We're not blessed when we punch our church time card enough. We're not blessed when we reach tenure in the kingdom. There's not some kind of time commitment um, that that we have to have in order to be blessed. He just says you're blessed um, when you live from the kingdom. Uh, This this slide here. Um, This is the first beatitude and the last beatitude. And they have some things in common. They end the same same way, right? Blessed or something, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this is a a literary device um, called inclusion, kind of saying that um, on this end we have the kingdom, and on this end we have the kingdom, and everything in between is what it looks like when you live from the kingdom and when you point to the kingdom. And so um, we can't, as we study this idea of being pure in heart, we need to know that that this is what it looks like uh, to live life from the kingdom. So, let's get into it. Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Today I really want to wrestle with two questions. Um, two questions that I think can only be properly understood um, when they're read in community, um, as they were earlier, and as they're heard and studied in the community of saints. Question number one, what does it mean to be pure in heart? And question number two, what does it mean to see God? And I think those are two big, difficult questions. I love how the ESV Study Bible um, explains this idea of blessed. Um, the, the ESV says that, that being blessed is more than a temporary or circumstantial feeling of happiness. This is a state of well-being in relationship to God, to those who respond to Jesus. So from the beginning, um, before we can even wrestle with what it means to be pure in heart, we see that this beatitude is given to those who are living in relationship and those who have responded to Jesus. The Greek word for pure um, has a literal meaning of unmixed or without alloy. And so you can kind of think of two metals that have been mixed together. um, And each one carries the impurities of the other. But when it comes to our heart, what does it mean to be unmixed? What does it mean um, to, to be without something? Uh, Soren Kierkegaard says that, that purity of heart is to will one thing, a call for unmixed motives that seek only the will, the will 
not the wheel, I don't think this is a car, the will of God. Purity of heart is to will one thing, a call for unmixed motives that seek only the will of God. So perhaps what, what we're hearing today and what we should hear today is that, that blessed are those with unmixed motives. But the thing about motives is that motives in and of themselves are, are difficult to see. And I think that's my biggest struggle with this verse. Um, when you look at all the other Beatitudes, like, you can almost see that, right? Like You can see people who mourn. I can see people who are merciful. I can see people who create peace. I can see people who are persecuted. It's a lot harder to see purity of heart. Um, we can see what appear to be the effects of a pure heart. But the heart itself, the motive itself, um, is a little bit trickier. I think Frozen says the heart is not so easily persuaded. The great philosopher, Disney. Um, This beatitude calls us to examine the very things that we try hardest to cover. Um, I came across across this quote from D.A. Carson. Um, I mean, this this quote, uh, I cannot get it out of my head. D.A. Carson says, because it is the heart that must be pure, this beatitude interrogates us with awkward questions such as these. What do you think about when your mind slips into neutral? How much sympathy do you have for deception, no matter how skillful, for shady humor, no matter how funny? To what do you pay consistent allegiance? What do you want more than anything else? What and whom do you love? To what extent are your actions and words accurate reflections of what is in your heart? To what extent do your actions and words constitute a cover-up for what is in your heart? That's it. That's the sermon right there. If you want to work on purity of heart, just wake up every day, ask yourself those questions. You spend the rest of your life working on that. And there, there's so many powerful questions in that. What, what do you think when, when your mind slips into neutral? Where does your mind gravitate? Um, how much sympathy do you have for, um, for shady humor? You know, I, are there some things that you know are inappropriate, but man, that's funny. You know, that, that, those are the questions that we ask. Um, I think this question... Uh, to what do you pay consistent allegiance? I think that's a powerful question in an election year. I think that's a powerful question to ask, especially with the conversation uh, that's happening uh, around the, the flag and national anthem of the United States. Uh, where do our allegiances lie? Have we given more allegiance to a flag, uh, to a political party, to our country? then we've given allegiance to, to Jesus, to his resurrection, to his kingdom. Um, Josh Graves, uh, a friend of Josh Ross, uh, says this. He says, the heart is the spiritual center of a person's being. It's neither inherently good nor bad. Rather, the heart is a battlefield for the grace of God and the lies of Satan to wage war for our affection and our allegiance. The heart is a mixture of divinity and sin. 
the heart is a mixture of divinity and sin, but it wasn't created to be that way, right? And so our challenge is to live pure. It's to live with unmixed motives and allegiances. But if we're already a mixture of, of this grace and this sin, of divinity and sin, then how do we go about living an unmixed life? I brought this bowl today, number one, just in case I got nervous and had to deposit my breakfast, but also for illustrative purposes. And I brought half a cup of coffee. Um, I don't like coffee, so I don't feel bad about wasting it. My wife says that's one of my biggest faults. I say it saves $2 a day, so I'm not that concerned about it. All right. So... In my styrofoam cup, I have um, coffee. Uh, we'll call it coffee sin because that makes sense to me. <laughs> and on the, on the other hand, we have this water. We'll call that divinity. And so I mix my sin and my divinity, and I get watered-down coffee, which doesn't probably taste that much different from real coffee. I don't know. Um, and I, I remember a, a friend in college using this illustration in one of our classes, had this cup, and it was, it was filled with something, I don't remember. Um, and he, he, he said that for so many of us, when we think of purity, when we think of the goal of Christianity, uh, we think that the goal is to take all of this sin, this, this muck, this mire, and just to get rid of it. All right, so then we pour ourselves out. But then you look down in there, and it's still brown, and it's still dirty. And for some reason, we think that it is enticing to non-Christians to go around and say, look how empty my cup is. All the dirt that was in there, I am now rid of it. And all we have to offer the world is an empty cup. And he said, but I think the point of the gospel is that as we empty the old muck in the mire, put in more Jesus, that's a little bit cleaner. But there's a whole lot more Jesus than there was coffee. I mean, sin. Um, They're synonyms. Um, And so as Jesus pours more and more into your life, you look down and all of a sudden your, your, your cup is cleaner and cleaner. And you're not walking around with an empty cup anymore. You're walking around and you're saying, look at this water that I have to offer the world. And I think that is purity of heart. I don't think we can go through life with a dirty, empty cup. That's not going to attract anyone to Jesus. And that isn't the call of the gospel. Our call isn't just to be emptied. It's to be emptied so that we can then be filled, filled with something new, something pure. So how do we go about being filled with something new? I think that's one of the the hardest parts uh, of this verse. And so um, I want to give you a a very tangible plan of action today. Um, Some things that you can take out and say, man, I want to pursue purity of heart, and this is how I'm going to do that. Um, So I'm going to give you two things. The first is this. Get into Christian community. Get into Christian community. Nothing else I say matters if you will not live in community with other Christians. If you try to do this on your own, nothing else I say today matters. Get plugged in deeply 
with a Sunday morning class, Wednesday evening class. Get involved with our life groups. You can get more information after service from the Connection Center. Find a discipleship group. Find something, but you have to have a community to, to go through life with. And as much as I love everyone in this room, um, this many people can't be that community that you need. You need just a couple of people that you can pour deeply into and that they can pour deeply into you. Um, we said earlier, the Beatitudes were not given to an individual. And yet, so often, we try to live them out individually. Um, purity of heart is not meant to be lived out individually. It's meant to be lived out um, in community with a group of disciples. In fact, they can't be lived out any other way. So that first tangible tool, get into community. Step one. If you're not going to do that, ignore the rest of the sermon. Um, and that can start this morning. Um, if you were uh, planning to, to cut out during the next song, my plea to you is don't. Stay. Um, have a two-minute conversation with somebody. You don't have to invite anybody out to lunch. You don't have to share your dark, darkest, deepest, darkest secrets. Just have a one- to two-minute conversation with somebody around you. Next week, make it three minutes. Just do a little bit at a time to develop some kind of Christian community in this place. Um, the second tangible tool is this, spiritual disciplines. Once you have your community um, that can support you and walk with you, um, you have to have spiritual disciplines in your life. And before I say anything else, I need you could hear this. Spiritual disciplines themselves cannot move you towards purity of heart. Only God does that. Spiritual disciplines will not move you towards purity of heart. Only God will move you towards purity of heart. And if you want God to move you towards purity of heart, if you want God to clean out that dirty coffee cup, um, then you need spiritual disciplines. And for our church heritage, the churches of Christ, we need to be honest, we've, we're not the best at spiritual disciplines. We have some real strengths. There's some real beautiful things in the churches of Christ, but we haven't always been the best about practicing spiritual disciplines. Um, this book is Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. Um, and it is an incredible primer on Christian spirituality and Christian uh, spiritual practices. One of the greatest blessings in my life right now is a Wednesday night group uh, that my wife and I um, get to, to meet with each week. And over the past month or two, we've been journeying through this book, Celebration of Discipline. Um, like I said, it's been a couple of months. We're in chapter three, uh, so we're not exactly moving quickly. Uh, but man, it is rich. And in his introductory chapters, he kind of sets up the conversation around spiritual disciplines. Uh, Foster writes that the natural motions of our lives produce dirt and mire, or coffee. It reminds me uh, of one of my favorite quotes. No one drifts towards holiness. I don't remember where I heard it for the first time, but I cannot forget it. No one drifts towards holiness. And isn't that true? Isn't that powerful? That no one drifts towards holiness. I mean, how many of you have ever woken up one day and thought, huh, I'm especially close to God this week, and I really don't know why? <laughs> like, usually, it's the, at least for me, it's the exact opposite. Right? I wake up one day, and I look around, and I'm like, whoa, 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 how did I end up here? Right? How, did, how did I get so far from God. 
It's because I've been drifting through life. And the natural inclination of the human heart is not to drift towards God. It's not to drift towards holiness. Um, So these disciplines, they kind of reorient our heart so that Jesus can clean up that dirty coffee cup. I love the three songs that we sang um, just a minute ago. Um, Create in me a clean heart, pure in heart, O God. Lord, I give you my heart. And what struck me... um, in each of those songs, is that God is the agent of purity. Right? It's not our actions. It's not spiritual disciplines. Like, purity of heart comes from God. And I, I, thought, I, I was struck by this, that, that even the best heart surgeons in the world cannot give themselves a heart transplant. Right? No matter how skilled they are, no matter how good they are at their job, they cannot fix their own heart with a heart surgery. There has to be some kind of outside force. And God is that outside force that, that purifies our heart. Um, one of my favorite things uh, about this book is the way that it's organized. Um, he begins with what he calls the inward disciplines. That, that's the heart. Um, and then he moves into the outward disciplines, um, the ways that we may interact with others. And then he moves into corporate disciplines, disciplines that we share together, that uh, Christians all over the world share together just as we shared uh, communion uh, together. And so he starts with the heart because it all starts there, right? Before you can have a conversation about your, your external disciplines, your outward disciplines, your corporate disciplines, it starts with the inward disciplines. And he gives three disciplines to work on the heart. Meditation, prayer, and fasting. And those are all challenges for me. I don't know about you, but all three of those challenge me. And I love that he starts with meditation um, because meditation is about listening to God. And then he moves into prayer, talking to God. So it's almost like before you can actually have anything to say to God, you have to put yourself in a place where you can hear from God. And I I love that uh, about about this book. Foster later says in the book that as we go through these disciplines, um, our lives change as we practice these disciplines. But really, it's not just our lives that change, it's our heart that change. He says that the, the natural motions of our lives that once produced that mire and that dirt are kind of reoriented, and we begin to now produce in our lives, as Romans 14 says, righteousness, peace, and joy from the Holy Spirit. Um, so the, this book is, uh, is absolutely incredible. Um, it's $15 on Amazon. You can order it on your phone right now. Wonders of technology. Uh, you can order it on your phone right now. It'll be on your porch on Tuesday. Technology is a terrifying thing. Um, but it's, uh, it's an incredible book. Um, as Jim shared during communion, he talked about Psalm 139, um, how, how God searches our heart. Um, and these disciplines put us in a place where God can search our heart. And what I love about God, um, well, let's do this. Um, I don't know if you're like me. Sometimes I put things in the refrigerator and then discover them sometime later. I remember, um, I remember moving into college, had a mini fridge, and my parents, hey mom, hey dad, um, stocked me up on groceries before they left, um, bought me some, some cereal, some Pop-Tarts, you know, the essential stuff that college students need, Easy Mac. And um, so that, that was probably mid-August that we uh, bought a carton of milk. Um, and it was Christmas break when I rediscovered that carton of milk. Um, <laughs> 
And so I don't know if you ever had an experience like that where, where you, open it, you open something from the fridge and like it just kind of catches you off guard. Like you did not know that smell existed. Um, or maybe, maybe um, if you've got teenage boys, you've experienced something similar by walking into their room. If not, come to church camp, check out the middle school cabin towards the end of the week. Um, it'll make a lot more sense. But what I love about God is that when he opens our heart, like, he doesn't have that reaction. Like, he doesn't open our heart and go, whoa, didn't know that was in there. Right? Like, he knows. He knew before. And yet he still chose the cross. He still um, chose a, a resurrection. And so these disciplines are scary. They put us in a vulnerable spot. <laughs> I think that brings us to, a, to our second question. Um, what does it mean to see God? John 1, 18 says this. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. So John chapter 1 says no one has seen God. But there are stories in the Bible where people caught a glimpse of God. Uh, Revelation 22 Talking about how this whole thing ends. How, how, does, how does life end? Revelation 22, last chapter in the Bible says this. Uh, they will see his face and his names will be on their forehead. They will see his face. And that, for, for those of us who have been around Christianity for a while, that might instantly remind us of Moses. Right? Um, Moses gets to see God, but doesn't get to see God's face. He gets to see God in part but he doesn't get to see God fully. And so in the Bible, there's this promise that, that we'll see God in the future, but there are also very clear examples of people in the Bible seeing God partially in, in the present. I remember memorizing the Beatitudes when I was little, and for some reason, I always assumed that this Beatitude, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, I always assumed that was a future statement, that, that if I live pure in heart now, then one day, I will see God in fullness in heaven. And I think that's true. I think that's absolutely true. But I think that's incomplete. Because I think as we live from a place of purity of heart now, what happens to the way we see the world? I think we begin to see God here, now, in different ways, in different places. Uh, let's go to that next slide. Uh, these are those same first Beatitudes, um, the, the first and the last. We said they have some things in common. Um, they both talk about the kingdom of heaven. They also have this in common. Uh, they're the only two Beatitudes that are um, explicitly in present tense. Everything else talks about a future fulfillment. Um, these two talk about a present fulfillment. I think that's because the, the kingdom is both a, a present reality. Jesus spoke of it in the present tense. But... There's also very clear suffering in the world, and so I think there's a future reality. And so as we talk about what does it mean to see God, I think that absolutely there is a future moment where we get to see the face of God um, in all his glory. But for now, I think we catch glimpses of God. Six years ago, um, I spent several months in Ghana, West Africa, teaching at an elementary school. 
Um, and I showed up day one, and they said, hey, we want you to teach our Bible classes. And so um, I taught through the Sermon on the Mount. And I remember teaching this beatitude, and as I, as I taught this beatitude, I realized that one of the easiest ways for me to, to see God was in the, the eyes of those students in front of me, the eyes of these children in front of me. And so my prayer was, and still is to this day many days, is that God would purify my heart in such a way um, that, that I can catch glimpses of him now. Because I don't know if you're like me, I, I'm by nature um, a, a skeptic and a doubter in, in a lot of things. And so like, the idea of seeing God in the future, that sounds great, but, but I need something now. And I think as we live from purity of heart now, we see God um, in the people around us. We see God um, in, in the people next to us in our pews. We see God um, in the people that are going to serve you lunch if you go out to eat or the people that have prepared a meal for you if you're going to someone's house. Um, we see God around us. As I studied this beatitude over the past month, here's one of the biggest truths that, that God kind of showed me, that the only reward we get for being pure in heart is to see God. And that's it. Like nothing else is promised to the pure in heart. Health is not promised. Long life is not promised. Money and prosperity is not promised. A stable job isn't promised. Um, A good family dynamic isn't promised. The only thing that's promised is that we get to see God. So as we uh, begin to wrap up today, um, Life ebbs and flows, doesn't it? It goes through seasons. Some seasons are great. Some seasons are are tough. And the Beatitudes tell us that much. Um, There are going to be days of mourning. There are going to be days of persecution. There are going to be days when we hunger and thirst for God. There are going to be days that we don't hunger and thirst for God. There are going to be days when our hearts feel pure and days when, when we don't feel that way at all. And so here's what I love about the Beatitudes. Um, They're communal. On days when when I'm mourning, I need the community to provide that comfort. On days when when I'm suffering, I need the community to to give me that, to to give me some comfort. On days when I'm not walking in purity of heart, I need people walking beside me, encouraging me uh, to continue to grow in purity. These beatitudes, this purity of heart, it's not a command. God isn't telling us that we have to be pure in heart. He's saying that if you live from the kingdom, you will find yourself pure in heart day after day. Um, I want to invite our shepherds and prayer leaders to to kind of take their positions uh, as we begin to close. I'm a teacher at Harding Academy. It's a private Christian school. And this week, I had my students journey through this beatitude and reflect on this beatitude. And here's some of the stuff they said, some of the stuff that jumped out to them. They said, as your heart is cleansed, you see God more around you. Another student said, we should be pure in heart like children are pure in heart, see the innocence and good around them. Another one said, we can't be living a double life, acting different ways at different times. To be pure in heart goes beyond your actions. You don't even think bad thoughts. Seeing God means that you will be with God in heaven someday. 
and that you will see him in different ways in your everyday life. To see God, you have to look for him. You have to want to find him. Then one student uh, used a quote from, from somewhere else, and they said uh, that we have to pray to have eyes that see the best in people and a heart that forgives the worst. Around the room, uh, there are shepherds and prayer leaders, men and women uh, who would love to pray with you. If you have something that, that you want to be shared publicly, um, you can come down to my right, uh, your left, where, where Dewey is, um, and uh, we'll, we'll share that publicly. Uh, but if you have something um, that, that you just, you just want to pray with somebody, talk with somebody for a little bit, I mean, there are people scattered all around the room. And these people would love uh, to pray with you. Um, earlier, I gave you two tangible ways to be pure in heart, uh, community and spiritual disciplines. And this is your first opportunity um, to, to exercise those, to go to someone and say, I want Christian community. I just want someone to talk to. It's an opportunity to, to engage your prayer life, to go, someone, to go to someone and pray. Um, I've loved being with you today. I hope that God has stirred something in your heart. I hope that today is a day for you where things change, where you decide to live from the kingdom um, and live um, with, with a, a pure heart. May God bless you as you seek purity of heart. May you catch a small glimpse of him.